since your podiums are so small, I need a, a really big one for all of my things. In, uh, we were at a camp in Pennsylvania last summer, and, and they had this uh, little wimpy pulpit. And I, I got excited when I was preaching, and I started pounding the pulpit, and I broke it. <laughs> so, <laughs> this thing seems like it would be maybe easy to break, so... I'll be careful with it. <clears throat> um, well, let's, uh, let's pray before we get started. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be your ambassadors here on earth and your universal church that you've chosen us to be a part of, um, not because we've done anything to deserve it at all, uh, purely and completely because of your grace and mercy and the sacrifice of Jesus uh, being fully God and fully man, presenting the, the perfect sacrifice so that we can be forgiven and redeemed. Lord, this is the greatest message in the entire universe, and uh, we long to, to take it to the world around us. We live in such a broken world such a needy world, um, a world searching for answers, and most of the time in all the wrong places. And Lord, we pray that you would make us uh, bold witnesses, um, and that you would help us to go forward with your word in our hands, opening it up and sharing it in a loving and in a bold way um, with, with souls all around us, friends and family and neighbors and uh, co-workers, uh, Lord, we just thank you for, um, for making us salt and light. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would uh, uh, be useful instruments in your hands. And so, Lord, we want to put this uh, short time into your hands uh, as we think about evangelism, as we think about the message that we have and uh, how to share it with others. So uh, help me to say the things that you want me to say. In Jesus' name. Let's start. There's so many things to say. There's not going to be enough time. But uh, let's start with 1 Corinthians 2. In 1 Corinthians 2, uh, you see the great Apostle Paul and how he started. Hello! You're just a little bit late, but that's okay. That's Peruvian time. But uh, I, I want I want to just ask you: uh, Do you think that you qualify to be an evangelist? That's what we're talking about during this this time. We're talking about evangelism and and how to do it, why to do it, where to do it. And uh, I just want to start out with a a few uh, pieces of encouragement from the scriptures to be an evangelist. And I love this passage in First Corinthians two verses one to four is, uh, or, or one to three, really, um, is, is so encouraging to me in the area of evangelism. So let me read it real quickly. It says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's talking, or he's writing to the Corinthians, and he's telling them, reminding them of, of kind of uh, his first encounter with them. And he says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much 
trembling. My message or my speech were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, to be an evangelist like the great Apostle Paul, number one, you should not have lofty speech. It says that in verse 1. It says, I did not come to you proclaiming the message of God with lofty speech. How many of you feel like you have lofty speech? You're just extremely eloquent. Uh, you're, you're kind of on another level uh, as far as your vocabulary goes and your ability to explain things. How many, just raise your hand if you have lofty speech. No one. This is incredible. Okay, so that, that number one requirement to be an evangelist, a preacher of the gospel, to share the gospel like the Apostle Paul did, you must not have lofty speech. That's what he says. I didn't come to you with lofty speech. I guess I'm stretching that saying you must not have it. Uh, I guess you could if, you know. But the Apostle Paul here, he said he didn't come with lofty speech. And all of you are telling me you don't have lofty speech. So, so far, you qualify to be an evangelist like the Apostle Paul. Okay, the next word there, he, did, he says he didn't come with lofty speech or wisdom. Like great, how many of you just feel like you are the next Solomon? You have great wisdom. Your apologetic abilities are at the best. You you know how to win arguments, theological arguments. I mean, you are wise beyond your years. Anyone? You're kind of raising your hand. Is that? No. <laughs> raising her her food. <laughs> This is great. So far, all of you continue to qualify as a great evangelist like the Apostle Paul. So no lofty speech, uh, not much wisdom. For I decided, okay, we're going to skip two. We're going to come back to that. Verse three, and I was with you in weakness. Okay, so how many of you, if I was going to say, um, right now what we're going to do is we're going to pile into our cars and uh, we're going to go to, the, I saw a baseball game as we were coming, and we're just going to go to the baseball game, and we're going to set up an open-air meeting, and we're just going to start preaching the gospel to all the, the, the baseball players and all, everybody that's got How many, and, and uh, uh, you're going to preach. Are, okay, so uh, are, are you feeling kind of nervous right now? Okay. <laughs> how many of you, if, if I pointed at you, you're the one that's going to preach, how many of you would feel rather weak? <laughs> this is great, almost, uh, almost everybody. So, so far you continue to qualify to be an evangelist like the Apostle Paul. He said, I came in weakness. I came in weakness. And then the next word, and in fear. How many of you actually feel a little bit of fear if I said, we're, we're, let's just go door to door, let's go over to the apartments over here and we're going to go door to door, we're going to start doing evangelism. How many of you kind of begin to feel fearful? And, and the next little phrase, and with much trembling. <laughs> How many of you are actually starting to tremble? So uh, what I just want to point out here, I'm sorry I'm being kind of funny, but uh, I am very funny. I'm, ex I'm an extremely funny person. <laughs> but uh, if you want to be an evangelist like the Apostle Paul, Paul says right here, he, he did not come, first of all, when he came preaching the gospel, he did not come with lofty speech. He didn't come with lots of wisdom. He, he came actually with weakness and fear and much trembling. I feel weakness and fear and much trembling. I do not feel like I have the greatest of eloquence. I, I do not feel like I have lofty speech or great wisdom to uh, give to the world. And, and this is exactly how Paul came to the Corinthians. 
So this is so encouraging to me. The great Apostle Paul and all of you are just like him in this area. We talk about evangelism. Man, we start to like shake a little bit and we're trembling and fearful. I'm not very eloquent. That's the Apostle Paul. But look at verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's our message. This is what you need to take to the world. This is what we talk about. We're not going in there to talk about how to be better and more moral people. Uh, we don't need to go in and, and figure out how to win the debate on, on religion or social justice, or, yeah, the, the issues of the day. We're not going in. That's not our message. Our message is not on how to fix uh, racism in the United States. Our message is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So that is our message. Now let me um, give you a definition to the word courage. Courage. Courage is an act not necessarily done by those who feel brave. No, courage is displayed when one is fearful but does it anyway. True courage is not the absence of fear. It is the conquering of it. It's the conquering of it. And this is, I think, something that's helped me a lot. As I mentioned this morning, I'm kind of a fearful person, or I I definitely was a fearful person before coming to faith in Christ. And I just realized, man, if this God of the Bible is for me, who can be against me? And if he's going alongside with me, man, I might be a little bit fearful going. I want to share. I want to share my faith. I am so excited about what the Lord has done in my life. He's transformed my life. I want to share it with people. But how do I do that? And I'm a little bit nervous, and I might mess up, and I'm not very eloquent, and I don't have lots of wisdom to share. But this idea that man, even the Apostle Paul was like this, taking the gospel to the Corinthians, according to his own words, right here. The main thing that he focused on was though, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message. And then courage. It's not the absence of fear. It's the conquering of it. I'm going in. I'm a little bit afraid. afraid. I'm a little bit trembling, but I'm going to try this anyway. Okay. Now, I just want you to take one minute and at your table, you're going to narrate back to what what you just heard. Just say something back to somebody that's sitting next to you. You, So you got one minute. This this is kind of like homework time or test. Tell somebody that's at your table, just, you got one minute and, and uh, 30 seconds each person. You just say, man, I heard this. This is, this is what I'm encouraged by or this is what I'm discouraged by. <laughs> so repeat it, repeat it back. Okay. I don't know if I gave you long enough, but we need to move along. There, I've actually got like uh, six mini messages that I'm trying to pack in, and uh, and you you got to just you got so take notes on these things so, because there's going to be uh, these little narration tests at the end. You're going to have to see. Amy is a master homeschooler, and uh, and she uh, relies a lot on narration. The kids they learn something, they got to narrate it back, or a story or something. They're reading history, you tell it back. When you tell it back, it burns it into your head. And so we are all about. Like, we don't want this, what we're sharing from the scriptures to go in one ear and out the other. We want to burn it into our minds. Narration is one of the keys to do that. So, now, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Really quickly, I just, I want to show, show you this passage from an evangelism perspective. Here we've got attitudes in hell that should be in the church. 
Attitudes in hell that should be in the church. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and in fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was, a, was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So just, there's several, there's so many things to point out here. But, but real quickly, if you wanted to outline this, you've got two men, Two different lives, two deaths, and two destinies. The, these two men, you, you get this picture of them, each of them before death, what their life was like. One was rich, and man, he had banquets and parties and just the best foods and the best living conditions. And the other one lives this life on earth. He is poor. He is sick. His only friends are dogs. And uh, these two men, there's the, the rich and the poor, the healthy and the sick, luxury and misery, full and empty, banquets with friends, or suffering with dogs. Which one do you want to be? Banquets with friends. Uh, don't give me the religious answer and say, oh, I want, I want to, you know, no friends with dogs. No, 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 nobody wants that. But this is the situation. I mean, this is a difficult life that the one guy's living in, this great life that the other one's living. But then you realize in the story, one's a believer and one's an unbeliever. It, one is on his way to heaven and one is on his way to hell. And then you get this, this moment, two men at the moment of death. At the very moment of death, one is carried and one is buried. One is carried by the angels and the other one doesn't speak of any angels. He's just simply buried, um, probably at this the rich guy. It, and it's very interesting to me, the poor guy, we get his name. His name is immortalized in scripture for, for all of eternity. We get Lazarus. Everybody knows this name for the, for the rest of eternity. It's written here. But the other guy, he's a rich man. And man, he's got it made in life, but it just says the rich man. He doesn't, doesn't even give us his name. Uh, I love that. And, and, and then on Judgment Day, uh, well, I mean, Judgment Day isn't in, in this story right here. But you see both of these guys die and immediately it, the very next verse, it, it says in verse 23, it, verse 22, it says that uh, the rich man was, uh, also died and was buried. The very next verse, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes 
And he saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus at his side. So, I, I mean, it's pretty clear, you, according to the story, and, and once again, th- this story, is, it doesn't say, and Jesus told a parable, or, or Jesus gave an illustration. This just goes right into the story that G- Jesus is telling it, as if this is something that really happened. Um, and, and so immediately after these guys die, they're in places of eternity. And I want to just point out a couple of things. I guess I, I want to do this to try to put urgency into your heart and in, into your head. Look at a couple of things that come out about hell here. So it calls it Hades, um, but obviously we're seeing this place of torment and fire. Um, it seems to me... Um, now, Pastor Steve, maybe maybe could help me with this, or, or maybe you would disagree. I don't know, but it seems to me in the Old Testament you have this mention of Hades a lot, um, and then after Jesus' uh, resurrection and in the epistles we start to get talk about hell. Um, Jesus talked about hell um, at, before his death, burial, and resurrection, obviously. So in the New Testament, you you get this talk about hell. And then in the book of Revelation, you see this place, the lake of fire. It seems to me Hades, those Old Testament unbelievers who rejected God, they went to this place of Hades. After the time of Jesus, it seems that that Hades is, is... kind of transported over to hell. Those who are in Hades go to hell. And then it goes, they go at the end of the, after judgment, hell is thrown into the lake of fire, it says in Revelation chapter 20. So it's like it goes from bad to worse to really worse. And same heaven, it seems in the Old Testament, this place called Abraham's bosom, people that are believers in the God of the Bible, they die and they go to this place. And then in after Jesus, it seems this place, heaven, uh, is where they've been transported to, and those that die now go to heaven, believing in Christ. Uh, but then in the future, heaven and earth will be destroyed. New heavens and earth are going to be created. And so then tra- that, that present-day heaven, uh, those that are there seem to be uh, transferred over to the new heaven and new earth after all of this burned up. Yeah, in, in Revelation, I guess that's a... Sorry, I shouldn't have said all that stuff. That... Uh, um, a lot to think about right there. But what I want to say is, um, Hades is hell, basically. Hades is, is hell, or it's the first stage of it here. And I just want to point out a couple of things about this place. So first of all, it's a real place. It, once again, in verse 23, the guy wakes up and he's in Hades. That's the very next verse. It says he dies, and then he lifts up his eyes. He's in Hades in torment. Um, Matthew 25, verse 41, it says, Jesus says, hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. But then in Revelation 20, verse 15, it says, anyone whose name was not written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. So it, it ends up, this is a place for people whose names are not written in the book of life. Um, and clearly from the teaching in the New Testament, those that do not repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved are thrown into this hell, this lake of fire, which is where it ends up being. Um, the second thing that I, so it's a real place. You can write that down in your notes. Hell is a real place. It, once again, Jesus does not say, uh, now this is a parable or an illustration. He just goes into the story as if it's a real thing. Number two, uh, something about hell. You arrive there immediately after death. 
Once again, the first words of verse 23, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. You go directly there. It doesn't talk about purgatory. It doesn't talk about soul sleep. It's a place that you arrive at immediately after death if you haven't trusted in Christ. Or the third thing about this, look, you are fully conscious in verses 23 to 28, you get these, these uh, little phrases, like he lifts up his eyes. Later, he, he could speak. It says he calls out, Father Abraham. And, and then he, he can feel, he, he can actually feel the flames because he says, I'm in torment in this place. I'm in anguish. He says that several times. And then another thing, he can reason. He's in hell reasoning. He's like, just a minute, if I'm here, my brothers, they're worse than me. They're coming here. And you see this reasoning that he's like, send Lazarus to go preach to my brothers. And, and so all this, so you, you, in hell, it seems, according to the story that Jesus is telling, he, he can feel the anguish, the torment. He can feel the flame. He can lift up his eyes. He can see. He can talk. He can reason. He can think. So you're, in, you're fully conscious uh, according to this story. The fourth thing about hell, it's a place of separation. Verses 23 and 26, the, you get these uh, statements like, He saw afar off. Um, a great chasm is between them in verse 26. Uh, they're far from blessing, they're far from God, far from grace, far from salvation, far from relief. It's this separation that, that you see this great chasm between them. Um, can you imagine the horror of waking up in this place? Uh, so, so far, it's a place of separation. It's a place where you're fully conscious. It's a place where you arrive immediately after death. It's a real place. Uh, number five, it's a place of torment. Verse 23, being in torment. Verse 24, anguish in this flame. Verse 25, you are in anguish. Verse 28, this place of torment. So, I mean, this is, this is a... A scary story when you start thinking about it. It's a place of torment. Number six, it's a place where you remember. Look at verse 25. Abraham said, child, remember, remember. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus like in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. That's amazing that Abraham says to him, remember. So... And he obviously remembers, he has these brothers, and he remembers the life that he lived and the life that Lazarus lived. It's a place, can you imagine that, spending all of eternity remembering? You're remembering all the sins that you committed. You're remembering all those times when you went to church and heard the message of life in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. And you've heard these messages of repent and draw near to God while there's still time. And you just remember how you rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected it. Remember. That is amazing to me uh, that, that this, this guy, I mean, Abraham says remember and that this guy can, can remember in hell. It makes it even worse, actually. Um, verse 7 it, or I mean, number seven uh, things about hell. It's a place that you can't escape from. Hell has no exits. 
There's no escape. There's no hope. In verse 26, no one can come from here to there, nor from there to here. Hell has no exits. There's no hope. It's a desperation. Um, I kind of think from this verse that maybe there'll be prayer meetings in hell. This guy is actually, it seems that he's praying, and get this, he's praying to the wrong person at the wrong time about the wrong thing. He's praying to Abraham. You don't pray to Abraham. For some reason in this story, he's allowed to talk to Abraham. I don't know, but he's praying, Abraham, send an evangelist to my brothers to go warn them to not come here. But, but it's a place where you can't escape from and you get this sense of, and this is the last thing I want to point out, it's a, it's a place of great panic. It's a place of great panic. There's a clamoring, a screaming, a begging. There are prayer meetings in hell, a desperation to evangelize loved ones that are still on earth. Evangelists in hell. Can you, can you imagine this? I mean, so many people in hell that maybe attended churches, heard good gospel messages, maybe were very religious, but never trusted in Christ. And now in hell, just begging God or Abraham or somebody, send an evangelist to my family. If I'm here, my family... I know those guys. They're worse than I am. Or those people are just playing the religious game like I am. None of them have actually trusted in Christ. Send an evangelist. Please, send an evangelist. Get this? Attitudes in hell that should exist in the church. For some reason, here in the church, we just become cold and kind of dull and different if we could just get a glimpse of hell and Jesus gives us a small glimpse of it in this passage in Luke 16 and those things really stand out to me it's a place of great panic it's a place you can't escape from it's a place that you remember everything it's a place of torment it's a place of separation it's a place where you're fully conscious it's a place where you arrive immediately after death if you haven't trusted in Christ it's a real place um I think this should really, this should just put a burning desire in our hearts. I got to tell somebody. We got to tell somebody. And I don't even think this is actually the main motivation to evangelism. I'll get into that next. But um, let me me end with this, and then you can talk about it for for two minutes at at your table. But listen, no messing around. We got to get through this. So you need to really actually talk about this, okay? Don't talk about the the game. Uh, There is no games because we're in coronavirus. Everything's shut down. (laughs) Let me read this. Here's a quote by C.H. Spurgeon. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Go ahead and... Say something that stood out to you, to your neighbor. Narrate what you just heard. You got two minutes. Okay. The third quick little message. And these these three little quick messages that I'm giving here, why we should do evangelism, why we should do evangelism. And so the first one would would be here because you qualify. 
Just like the great Apostle Paul, you guys, you all proved to be just like him, trembling and full of fear and uh, not very eloquent. So all of you qualify. Why share the gospel? Number one, you qualify. Number two, because souls are going to hell. Souls are going to hell. There are attitudes in hell that should exist in the church. Why share the gospel? People are going to hell. And you qualify to go and take the gospel. You qualify if you're a Christian. Um, and now, number three, I want to go into this, John 4, 23. This is, I think it should be our main motivation in evangelism. John 4, 23, and this is a, a famous verse, but it says, The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The Father is seeking worshipers. The Father is seeking worshipers. Listen, the main goal of the church is worship. The main goal of the church is not evangelism. The main goal of the church is not missions. Those are super important, and they exist because worship doesn't. Know what I mean? There are places on this planet where worship doesn't exist. There are places in Des Moines, Iowa, where our God is not worshipped. There are neighborhoods. There are whole apartment complexes. There are whole neighborhoods where our God is not worshipped. So, evangelism exists. Missions exists because worship doesn't. There are whole countries where our God is not worshipped. I go to the jungles of Peru and God is not worshipped in all this section of the river, all these villages. I'm going in. My God isn't worshipped there and that's why I'm on mission. That's why I preach the gospel. That's why I do evangelism because our great God isn't worshipped. And right here this verse is very clear. God is seeking worshippers. That's the mission. He's seeking worshipers. We are to be worshipers, worshiping our God in spirit and in truth, truth based in his word and in spirit, worshiping him. But we are to go out also because he's on this mission, seeking worshipers for himself, and he uses us to do it. He uses us to be his ambassadors, his, ev his evangelists, to go forward, and he's seeking out worshipers. So God... Uh, Missions or evangelism isn't the goal of the church. Worship is. Evangelism exists because worship doesn't. Okay, tell it back to your neighbor in your own words. Uh, I'm probably not giving you enough time, but we got to rush. There's all kinds of things to talk about here. Hopefully with this narration time, it's just like burning into your head and, and you won't forget some of these things. Um, so uh, why do evangelism? Because souls are going to hell, because God isn't worshipped, because you qualify. And, and another one here, I, don't, I have like eight things, but I think we'll just stop here to go into um, how to do it a little bit. But I want to give you one more, and I want you to look up Matthew 28. And uh, why do evangelism? Because we're commanded to. Because we are commanded to. Matthew chapter 28. These famous verses, 18, 19, and 20. The last verses to the book of Matthew. Matthew 28, verses 18 
through 20. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Someone has said, you've got three options with the, these verses right here. You can either go, you can either send, or you can disobey. Those are your three options. Go, send, or disobey. And, and when you're sending, you're, you're also, you're praying for, you're, you're supporting, but you're also giving an example of how to do it also. You're sending. So, uh, Somebody has outlined this in this way. Um, his authority on earth allows us to dare to go to the nations. His authority in the heavens gives us our only hope for success. And his presence with us leaves us with no other choice. So all authority in heaven it sends us out on earth. And then he's promised to be with us to the end of the age. His authority on earth allows us to dare to go to the nations. His authority in the heavens gives us our only hope for success. I mean, this is going to be another disaster if we're going in and of our own strength, but he has all authority in the heavens. He's sending us. He's going to help us, the God of the universe. So this allows us to dare to go to the nations. It, it also gives us the, the courage to go forward because knowing that God, who has all authority in the heavens, he's sending me. We're going to be successful if he's in it. And then his presence, he says, I'm with you to the end of the age. His presence leaves us with no other choice. I'm going. Like I said this morning, I'm all in. I'm all in. If this is the case, if he's going with me, if he's got all authority on earth and in the heavens, I, this is just the perfect recipe for success. I'm going in. I'm going in. Um, let me read here a list. I love this. Maybe you've heard me say this before. I can't remember if I said it the last time I was here. I just, I love this list of how uh, the apostles and, and some of the um, um, leaders in the primitive church, how they died. They went out with the gospel. They turned this world upside down because they really believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they got a hold of these words of the Great Commission and they realized, man, if Jesus has all authority in heaven, this is going to to allow me to dare to go to the nations, to have the audacity to take this to the world. If, if Jesus has authority in the heavens, then man, I, I mean, this is, this is the perfect recipe for success. The God of the universe has sent me, and, and then he's going with me? I have nothing to fear. And these guys, they go out and they preach the gospel. They turn the world upside down. The whole known world completely changed. I mean, we changed our calendar uh, based on the, the resurrection of of Jesus Christ, and so, or actually, the calendar, I guess, is based on the birth of Jesus Christ, but, and they may be off a couple of years there, but that's a different debate, but listen to how these guys that go out in, into the world with the gospel, listen to how they died. They were willing to die horrible deaths because they really believed that Jesus had risen from the dead, and they were going forward with a true message, not a fabricated one. You don't die horrible deaths like this when you just made the story up. They really believed this. Listen, 
In AD 35, James was slain with the sword. In the year 54 after Christ, Philip was crucified. In the year 60 after Christ, Matthew was decapitated. Year 64, Barnabas burned at the stake. Year 64, Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, dragged to death behind a horse. Year 66, James, thrown from the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, hits his head on the bottom. It doesn't quite kill him, so they finish him off with clubs. Year 66, Paul, beheaded. Year 69, Peter, crucified upside down. They're going to crucify him, and he says, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you're going to crucify me, do it upside down. Can you imagine all the blood would just run to your head as you're trying to breathe? Horrific deaths. These guys were willing to die because they really believed Jesus has risen from the dead. And, and we don't even come to church on Sunday morning because there's a little coronavirus in the air. I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Um, no, no, that's, that's, that's just so, I shouldn't, I, I'm sorry I say things that are offensive sometimes. Thomas, let's just keep going. Thomas, he, in the year 70 AD, Thomas, he, he's, he's speared to death. He goes to, to India and, and he's speared to death as he goes taking the gospel. In the year 70, also, Andrew, he's crucified. Year 93, Luke is hanged. Year 95, John boiled in oil, and they say he survived it on the island of Patmos after he's written the book of Revelation, boiled in oil. I mean, look at the way that these guys, they were willing to suffer these horrific deaths to take the gospel to the known world around them because they really believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. They really believed this great commission, Jesus' last words before uh, he's ascended. And he gives them this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. I'm going to the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going, and why do I have the boldness to do? I'm going with, or Jesus says, I'm with you to the end of the age. If Jesus is with me, I'm going in. I'm all in. Okay, so turn to your neighbor and share something from what you just heard. And the main point there is, is why go do evangelism? We're commanded to. Jesus has commanded us to do it in Matthew 28, this great commission. You got two minutes. Okay, so why do evangelism? Give them to me real quick. Because you're qualified, yes. People are, souls are going to hell. Number three? Huh? Oh, I thought you said God doesn't exist everywhere. <laughs> That's wrong, but no. Worship doesn't exist. Our God is not worshipped in many different places on the planet, in our country, in our neighborhoods, and that evangelism exists because worship doesn't. Uh, four, number four? He's commanded us to do it. He's commanded us to do it. Okay, let's go on to how to say it. How to say it. Take notes, fast and furious. Um, and we're going to look at a couple of different passages and do the same sort of thing. But let me start out with um, saying, saying, 
this. Take notes if you can, uh, just real quickly. I want to give you a couple, of, a couple of words that help me, that keep me on track of things that I want to talk about. First of all, uh, three attributes of God to keep in mind, when it, how to say the gospel, how to share it with somebody, uh, just as far as what you should say, first of all. Um, God is holy, God is just, and God is love. Those three things, I'm always, those three attributes of God, I'm trying to keep in the back of my head when I'm thinking, when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody or I'm in a conversation, I'm trying to turn it to spiritual things. I want to, to try to hit briefly, if I can, on those three things. Now, once, one, I, I want to emphasize right now, we should not like water the gospel down to five spiritual points or four spiritual laws or three things God wants you to know or two. I guess those kinds of things, they're helpful for us uh, to keep us kind of on, on the right track and things that we should say. But at the same time, I just want to emphasize uh, God is the gospel. And there, I mean, we're going to spend an eternity in heaven uh, understanding more and more truths of what Jesus accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so I really do not want to give this idea of like, you know, just water down the gospel to basic little points. But obviously, when we're having a conversation with somebody, uh, we want to try, I want to try to get as much gospel into these people and into their heads, into their hearts, and, and, and also, uh, I'm trying to show them love as I'm doing this. Uh, George Whitfield, I guess, was, was famous for preaching in tears. He would just be, I guess he would preach to the coal miners outside the coal mines when the miners would come out and everybody's just uh, covered in soot, and as he would preach, the soot would be coming out, beginning on his face and he'd have these, these white ruts down his face as, as where the tears were going down his black face as he, as he, as he preached uh, the gospel. And we ought to, you know, really preach with that love and concern in our hearts, sharing the gospel with people. But once again, going back to these three words to keep in mind, God is holy, therefore he hates sin. And this must be emphasized, God is holy and therefore he hates sin. God is just, and that means he's got to punish the sinner. God is just, and he can't turn a blind eye to our sin. But God is love, and so he's provided a way that sinners can be forgiven. Those are three attributes of God, three words that I just, I want you to take notes. I want you to remember it. When you talk to your neighbor, you, you better remember these th three things. These are three keys when sharing the gospel. Hit on each one of these. And you can look up Bible verses. You can think of illustrations for each one of these things. Some gospel encounters with people, it can, maybe you can go in. I've had times when I've talked for hours with somebody. And then there's other times when you just get two minutes. And you're just trying to figure out, man, how, how can I share certain truths of the gospel? And, and obviously, we're not going to be able to say everything in a, in, in a gospel encounter. But um, I try to keep those three words in the back of my mind. God is holy. That means he's separated from, from sin. He, he hates sin. God is just. Therefore, he can't just cover his eyes to our sin. He must carry out justice. And this is so important, and it's something that today, in the climate of our culture and everything, we like the idea, God is love and God forgives. And that's true. But there's a major problem because God is also just. 
So how can he forgive and be just at the same time? These things are, if he's really just, he must carry out justice. If I murder somebody and they take me before the judge and the judge says to me, Micah, what do you think you're doing murdering people who are going to have to send you to jail for the rest of your life? And I say, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And he says, oh, you're sorry. Okay, I am a loving judge. I will let you go. Now, would he be just if he let me go? No, this judge is just letting criminals off the hook, murderers that deserve prison time or maybe the death penalty. And here's you got this judge that is just letting them go because he says he's forgiving and merciful and gracious. It sounds really great, but I mean, actually, it doesn't sound that great. <laughs> Judges need to carry out justice. God is a just judge. And that's where this other attribute, his love, comes into the story. He's just and he's loving at the same time. So he doesn't just cover his eyes to our sin. A price has to be paid. God has paid the price in the person of his son. Jesus paid the price that you should have had to pay. And then he offers you forgiveness. And now he can be just and loving and forgiving at the same time. All of these seemingly... Opposite attributes meet at the cross. Truth and mercy, justice and love. All these things come together at the cross where the wrath of God is satisfied. That wrath, uh, just anger toward the sinner is satisfied because Jesus satisfied it. He paid the price in full that you should have had to pay. And so you see all these things, these three things coming together. God is holy, God is just, God is love. Remember those things when you're sharing the gospel. Okay, go ahead and try to narrate some of that to your, your neighbor next door. Now I want to give you three more words that also, uh, they, they help me to kind of uh, keep, keep my track on what I'm, I'm saying. Um, in the beginning, there was light and life and love. So you got three L words there, light and life and love. Write those down, light and life and love. And everything that we see in this world was originally made to reflect that light and life and love. Um, God is light and life and love. Each one of those three words are used um, to describe God in the New Testament. God is light and life and love. Everything that was created in this world is meant to reflect that light and life and love. But as we look around this world that we, we see around us, you look at it and, man, you don't see very much light and life and love. I mean, we see bits of it. Yeah, you can see something of that, but we really see a whole lot of the opposite. What's the opposite of, of light? Right next to the, your word light, right? Darkness. Um, what's the opposite of life? Death. We see a whole lot of death. We see a whole lot of darkness. Now, this one, the opposite of love may be kind of tricky. One of my kids should say it. Disconnection. Really, the opposite of love is disconnection. Uh, hate, uh, yeah, but I just basically want to use a D word. 
<laughs> disconnection. It really, it is the opposite of love, is, is disconnection. You see that in, in all over our world, right? Families, broken families that should be, this should be a picture of love. The family, so many families are broken and you've got a disconnected family. Um, so really, you look around and, and this world that was made to reflect light and life and love, but you see the exact opposite, darkness and death and disconnection. So those three L words contrasted with their three D words, um, if you can remember those also, uh, these things, I'm, I'm trying to give you little things that help me in my gospel conversations. I'm hoping that they can help you also. So as I'm talking with somebody, oftentimes I'll bring up how, man, I mean, look at our world. And really, there's so many neat, amazing things. As you just look at creation, you look at people, you look at relationships, and you can see a little bit of that light in life and love. And this is what, this is who God is, and this is what we were created to reflect. But something has gone drastically wrong. And you actually see the opposite of light in life and love in this world. And so, what does light in life and love, what does God do as he looks at us in our darkness and death and disconnection? He says, your darkness will be my darkness. Your, what's another one? Your, your death will be my death. Your disconnection will be my disconnection. And he comes and he lives. Jesus came and he lived in this darkness. He lived in this disconnection. He even experienced this death. But then he rises again from the grave saying, You in darkness, come to my light. You in disconnection, come to my love. You in... What's the other one? Darkness. I said... I said two of them. I can't remember which. You in darkness, come to my light. You in disconnection, come to my love. You in death, come to my life. The, and, and this is the gospel. So, so we see the, world, the way the world was created, those three L words, and sin has come in and it's just done the exact opposite, darkness, death, and disconnection. So God, who is light and life and love, He comes, He experiences those three Ds, and, and He rises from the dead, and now He is calling to each one, in darkness and in death and in disconnection. Come to my light. Come to my love. Come to my life. So right there, I'm, I'm trying to give you kind of in a nutshell, the gospel. It, bouncing off of these three L words and contrasting them with those three D words. So if you've written these down and you can think of them. And, I, and yeah, when you're in gospel conversations and talking with people, maybe you mess up. Man, what was the other L word or something like that? But uh, uh, these have been helpful things for me when I'm talking with people. I'm always looking for different opportunities to share the gospel. And if, if you've got these, uh, just these words that, that remind you of where you're going, I find it very, very helpful. Uh, I mean, we could go a whole sermon on that, and I could, we could open up our Bibles, and we could look at where, uh, where God is love, where God is, Jesus is life. Um, and anyway, looking into all these things. But I just want to put these, these words into your head real quick so that you can use them in gospel conversations. How to say it, how to say it. So we've got those three attributes of God. God is holy, God is just, and God is love. Remember those. Um, also, 
this world is made to reflect light and life and love. God is light and life and love. Those are attributes or things that we see in Him that are revealed in the Scriptures. But we see the exact opposites in this world and how Jesus has come and He's taken on this darkness and death and disconnection. He's risen from the grave and now He is calling to mankind, you in death, come to my life. You in darkness, come to my light. You in disconnection, come to my love. This is the gospel in... I'm always trying to figure out short ways, easy ways to illustrate it that I can share with people. So hopefully that can help. Just register those three words. Okay, so now turn to your partner and try to say that back. Remember the three L's and the three D's. Now, turning your Bibles to John 4. We are already in John 4, but I want to show you now this, this story. And we see Jesus doing personal evangelism in this story, this famous story of the woman at the well. And you see Jesus in, in, a, in a personal evangelism encounter, how he did evangelism one-on-one. And uh, we'll look at another passage where he does it again. Uh, but look at this passage in John 4, the woman at the well. We'll start, for the sake of time, in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right, saying that I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And they go on in the conversation. Um, and, and I just I want to point out a couple of things here. Also, I guess I want to point something out in verse 26. So, so skip over there as, as they're talking a little bit. But in verse 26, Jesus, she says in verse 25, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, but, he who, uh, but when, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Um, uh, someone has called this the RCCR method. So you can put down R, C, C, R. Put it like for R and then below it C, C, R. So an acronym. Um, relate, create, convict, reveal. This is what Jesus does in his personal evangelism right here. He, he relates to this, this stranger, a person that he's never talked to before, a person that he doesn't know. Well, he's God, so he, he knows her, but she doesn't know it. And uh, he, he's, he's relating to her. And then he creates an opportunity. He just he opens up the door to talk about spiritual things. And after that door is open, he convicts her of sin in her life. 
And then he reveals to her who he is. We are to reveal to the person that we're engaged in the conversation, we're to reveal to them the person of Jesus. Um, So looking at that real quickly, in verse 7, this woman from Samaria came to draw draw water, and Jesus says to her, give me a drink. This, This is, I mean, Jesus just asked a normal, this would have been a very normal question. We don't have wells of water that, uh, or I don't think so, in Des Moines. Do you guys have well? Does anybody go and get well, well water? Uh, I mean, this way? <laughs> uh, maybe you have it hooked up to your house, I don't know. But um, this, is, this would have been a totally normal question at, at this time in history, at this place where they're at. You're sitting by a well, everybody, you know, throughout the day, people are coming to get water at the well. Jesus is there, this woman comes, Jesus, apparently the disciples have left, they've gone to get food at the supermarket, and Jesus is sitting there, he doesn't have anything to get water with. The lady comes to draw water, so he's like, hey, can, can I have some water too? He strikes up a conversation. Uh, this, I find, is, is act, well, step one and step two, they kind of go together. Once you can do step one and step two of, of creating a conversation with somebody and then um, relating to somebody, then creating a conversation about spiritual things. Once you've done that, Man, the rest is easy. I, I find like then you can just go into to a conversation pretty easily. But first of all, relating. Um, oftentimes when, when I do an evangelism class like this, uh, I, and it would have been great to do this. Um, I don't know if we're, we'd be prepared to do it. I haven't talked to any of the, the leaders about doing this. But if I, if I said, and I do this sometimes. Um, so as soon as we're done with this, uh, we're going to be an hour talking about evangelism. And uh, now, surprise, surprise, I'm not allowing any of you to escape. We're all going to go over to the uh, apartment complex, and we're going to knock on doors, and we're going to try to share the gospel with people. And I've done this lots of times, and it is so, I, for, it's probably sinful, but I I love to see fear in people's eyes when I know that they're going to be okay. But uh, as whenever I say, okay, we're going out, we're doing evangelism, and you can just see the fear in people's eyes, and they're trying to figure out how, how am I going to escape? I do not want to do this. And then as we start to get ready to go, I'm catching people that are like slipping around the back or trying to yeah, get to their car real quick. It is the funniest thing. But... Uh, if I was going to, if we're going to do an evangelism class, and if I had a couple of times, a couple of different sessions, the first time that we would go out, I go out and I just say, let's go two by two. And what I want you to do the first time we go out, all you got to do is just like be friendly to people. Don't even, don't even try to talk about Bible or anything, but just like go up to strangers and just like smile or, or just, you know, Say hi to people. Be friendly with complete strangers. That is half the battle. If you can just be friendly and easily uh, strike up a conversation just about anything, that, I mean, the door is wide open if you can start the conversation. That's huge. So just go like this is your homework today. After we're going to go out, just wherever you go, you drive. Maybe make it. A, maybe stop it at the grocery store or or Walmart or go through Starbucks uh, 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 drive-through and just like be friendly. That's like half the battle. Be friendly. Talk to people. Um, 
Now, there are different ways that you can, then you go into the create a conversation with people. You move the conversation to spiritual things. You, and really, uh, a lot of times when you're beginning a conversation, I'm trying to earn a question. I'm trying to earn a question by the way that I'm talking with people. And, uh, and also, being a little bit more aggressive, maybe with, with a tract. Um, I have these million-dollar tracts. Maybe, have you seen those? Many people have, have seen these. They're, they're, they look really cool. They look like a million-dollar bill. And uh, a lot of times, I'll just go, go around uh, passing out million-dollar tracts. Go to a park somewhere with lots of people or maybe a mall or something like that. Um, uh, nowadays, you need to take your face mask. So yeah, take your face mask and just start passing out money. And, uh, and people are like, uh, a lot of times, people are like, what is this? And, and they, oh, it's a gospel track. Go ahead and read it when you get a chance. And so right there, I've, already, I've said something. It's already kind of opened the door for a spiritual conversation. So I'm doing two things at once. I'm relating to a complete stranger, and I'm opening up the door to talk about spiritual things. Oftentimes, when I go out to do evangelism in the beginning, I am nervous. I've done this hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. I've gone out to share the gospel, cold turkey with people that I don't know, and I'm always nervous in the beginning. And I find that it is much easier for me just to, in the beginning, just go out with some tracks and just kind of just, I don't even... I'm not planning on talking to these people. I'm just going to give them some tracks and, hey, here's a million dollar bill. Here's a, have, a, have a good day. <laughs> like your face mask. Hey, 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 and just keep, hey, read this when you get a chance. It's a gospel tract. It talks a little bit about the Bible. Just read it when you get a chance. And just going around like that. I do that about maybe 10 people. I'm not, and like I'm, I'm passing them. I'm just giving this out. And I'm smiling, being friendly. If you are glaring at people, like they're not going to listen to you. I, for, I think I'm, I look kind of scary, and so I have scared people at times, and then I realize, man, you got to smile, Micah. you got to like look friendly, and see, even if you're like having a bad day, you're in a bad mood, which happens to me a lot, it seems like, and I just find myself, I, am, I look mean. Don't do that. You need to like be friendly, and you start passing out tracks, man, have a good day, or like these million-dollar tracks are awesome. You just like walk up to people, man, you just look like you deserve a tip. You're doing a good job today. Here's a million dollars, or say something funny like that. The million-dollar tract on the back has a great gospel message. Um, you can order them. I think it's livingwaters.com that... Uh, has those, those million-dollar tracks, but they have a lot of creative tracks, really cool, attention-getting tracks that are, are very interesting. So tracks are one way. Here's another, another way that, uh, um, uh, what, what, what's it called? Questionnaires. Questionnaires, I find, are very helpful because so I'm looking to go up to a complete stranger and you need a reason to go up to a complete why are you coming up to me why are you talking to me I don't even know you but if you go with a questionnaire and you're going you're walking up you're approaching somebody and usually I go with, with somebody else two of us we go two by two and I'll walk up to somebody and I'll, I'll just be like and usually I have the questionnaire on my phone and and I'll walk up to them and, I, and I'll say hey and you need to keep some distance. Don't like walk right up and be like right on top of the people. That scares them. It's offensive. So give them some space. Um, all, there's little things like, you know, if you have sunglasses on, take the sunglasses off. Um, it, try to have good breath also. Maybe brush your teeth first or like have some gum or something. Uh, yeah, nowadays with the face mask thing, you, you should probably have a face mask on. We just, we want to eliminate the offenses. But you walk up to someone and say, hey, I'm just going around 
there's a group of, of people from my church. You could even say church if you wanted to, or you could keep that out. But you, there's a group of us that are going around. We're just doing a questionnaire. Would you like to participate? The questionnaire has to do with coronavirus and religious perspectives. Would you like to participate? And I have found that actually, if I'm always trying to write new questionnaires that have to do with hot topics of the day. Um, one on social justice, uh, coronavirus, uh, the, the economy, but having, and this is, it's an easy thing to do. You write, you can write your own questionnaire, just get kind of thinking about how, how can I use, and um, if you want some of them, I've, I've posted some on, on our blog, um, Here's the coronavirus one that I have, but uh, so I've found that usually, I would say, if you're approaching people, you want to go to a place, first of all, where people, and you want to try to talk to people that aren't doing anything. It's really hard to, to talk, to share the gospel with a jogger. Um, they're going somewhere. I have tried this before. You run up alongside and, hey, you know, what do you, what do you think about the Bible? And it's, it's usually pretty tough. But uh, if you find somebody that's sitting there on those, you know, in a mall at, on the benches or in a park or somewhere, and you go up and, and you just say, hey, I'm just going around with some friends and we're doing this questionnaire. And the questionnaire is about coronavirus and religious perspective. Uh, would you like to participate? I found that if you go up to somebody in a friendly way and they're, you know, they're available, they're just sitting there, they're not doing anything probably seven out of 10 people uh, will participate. Uh, I'm, I'm actually shocked a lot of times as, as people are like, sure, I'll do that. And uh, especially with the topics of the day, people like to talk about these things. People have an opinion. And, uh, and I've, gone, I've gone, I think in Dubuque, in Dubuque we went uh, maybe four, three or four um, of the Black Lives Matters uh, protests and marches, and uh, and just going to those, and uh, man had some awesome conversations with some people. Uh, it, kind of uh, using that whole um, question uh, as a springboard into the gospel. But the coronavirus uh, one, he, here's here's my coronavirus uh, questionnaire. Um, so the first question is. So first I've asked, would you like to participate in the questionnaire? It's about coronavirus and, and religious perspectives on it. Okay, yeah. So uh, the first question is, would you say that coronavirus is real news or fake news? Real. Okay. Wow, man, that is, that is, that's great. Uh, there's different perspectives. And, and I don't want to get into a debate on this. I'm not going to be like, no, it's not. You're so stupid. I can't believe you would fall for this. I'm not going into, it doesn't matter what they say. We're not debating it. So the, the, the next question is, and let's, let's go to, to the, we're going to use kind of the, the religious uh, side of that same question. So would you say religion is real news or fake news? Real. Okay. Yeah. Well, the next question is, um, if there was a vaccine to coronavirus, would you take it? No. <laughs> Man, you got, your, you got your ideas. You've thought of these things. If there was a vaccine against sin, would you take it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> do you think that we should uh, open the economy back up or keep it shut down? Open it up. But then coronavirus is going to come back. All right, no, don't get into that debate. But uh, so the other side of that question is: Do you think it's better to open up personally to spiritual things or to stay shut down? Good to open up. Good to open up. 
Um, do you think uh, there could be a serious there could be serious consequences if we ignore coronavirus? Just if United States, if we just ignore it, could be some serious consequences. Uh, so the other side of that that question on the religious side would be: Do you think there could be serious consequences for ignoring the sin pandemic? Yeah, man, thank you for participating in this questionnaire. It's great. Give me a foot bump there. That's awesome, yeah. And, and so in that questionnaire, uh, what I did there is all I did, I, I related to a complete stranger. It gave me a reason to, to go up to them. If they say, no, 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 I don't want to be involved in a, in a questionnaire, that's fine. Oh, man, have a nice day. I don't want to waste my time on somebody that doesn't want to talk to me. And there are other people out there that do. And so anyway... It's kind of like a filter system. Uh, as I approach, ask if they'd like to participate in a questionnaire. If they don't, that's fine. So they filtered themselves out. Then I go to, somebody says yes, so they've gone through this first filter. Then I go through these questions. And as we're going through these questions, I have found many times I don't even get through all the questions. They just, they've got their opinions and their point of view and they want to share it. And all of a sudden, we're in this awesome conversation. Once again, I am not there to just pound them and disagree with their political perspective. I'm not, I don't care. I'm not getting into that. I am trying to talk to them them about Jesus. And that's where I want to go. And, and so as we're in this conversation, many times I end up in this awesome gospel conversation. Um, or if I get to the end of the, the questionnaire and they just seem like they just wanted to do the, the questions, but I don't want to talk anymore. Um, I, you know, man, have a nice day. It was great to get your perspective on these things. We're going to continue with the questionnaire with some other people. And so then you go on to other people. But if they seem really interested, you continue to go on. Now, if they're even super interested after a long conversation, maybe that you've had about gospel things, that's where, I'm, hey, would you like to get together with coffee or, or, over coffee? And, and like we could meet at Starbucks, I'll buy you a coffee and we could look at some of these things in the Bible. This is, yeah, after a conversation that is like these people are super interested. And so, but these questions that I just asked you, then we can springboard into more, like, after I've gone through this questionnaire, and they seem really interested about some, like, should you open up to spiritual things or not? And they're like, man, you know, I'm actually going through this really hard time in my life right now, and I feel like you know, I left the church years ago, and I'm just kind of searching for answers. I mean, wide open door right there. And, and you can just go from there, um, talking about your your personal testimony. Your own testimony is a great way to share the gospel. And, and sharing that or just, you know, you should know your, know your Bible to be able to share with people as they have different things. So you've got your Bible on your phone or a small Bible with you. I really do recommend when you go out and do evangelism, don't take a big, huge, head-beating Bible. Um, you can scare people. I have so many examples of going with people. We did evangelism and they just like... They scared people. This, this one guy, this one guy, I'll tell you this story about, um, I formed this evangelism team years ago when I was a student at Emmaus, and uh, we, there was about 30 people, and we'd go out every Friday and do evangelism, and this, uh, everybody was complaining about this one guy on the team. His name was Willie, and uh, this guy, he was just, he was kind of scary looking, and um, anyway, people were saying, man, Willie's just offending everybody. Micah, could you like go with him and, and just like kind of help him out? And so I said, Willie, let, let's go together. So we go door to door. We go up to the first door and he knocks on the door 
so we walk up to the, I just, I tell Willie, you're first. You, you go first. You, you, I want to see how you do it. So he goes up to the door and he knocks and he's like this, like nose is touching the door and he puts his hands up and he has this huge Bible. I mean, it was, it was scary. And he has a black trench coat on and he just, he looked, he's knocking and his nose is touching the door and the lady opens up the door and she sees him and she's, and she slams it and she, there's locks and keys and chains and, I was like, oh, oh yeah, like she, he, she opened it, and as soon as she saw him, he, she starts slamming it, and he goes, are you saved? I was like, oh, what are you doing? Like, that is a recipe for, you're going to just scare people to death. Okay, I, for some reason, I attract weird people. I attract, like, people want to come and work with me, and they're so excited. They want to go to the jungle with me, and, and that's great. I actually, I love this guy. He's so zealous for the Lord. He loves the scriptures, but just, he really needs to work on some people skills. And <laughs> so, anyway, I really, I want to emphasize, just try not to be weird, um, and, and, and so you can do this, I mean, with these, the questionnaires, they're such a good way. I have found in the United States um, that that is, is such a good way to share the gospel cold, with, with people that you don't even know, just to walk up, hey, would you, I'm just going around with this group of us, we're doing a questionnaire, would you like to participate? And, and, and it has, and like mentioned, it has to do with the race issue of the day, we're just trying to get people's perspective, and, uh, and, and, uh, and then what you think. Like the race issue, you know, my questionnaire on that is uh, uh, what the questionnaire is about race and what do you think the church should be doing about it? And boy, people have opinions on that. Why isn't the church involved or something like that? And, uh, but, and once again, not getting into debates over these things, but we want to bring it around to a point where we can share the gospel with people. And so going back to this John 4 so you see, Jesus relates to the woman. He asks a totally normal question. He starts a conversation. Hey, give me a little water. That's a normal question for the context that they're in. Then he creates an opportunity to talk about spiritual things. In verse 10, Jesus just says, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he's bringing up this concept, living water. What in the world? What I just want to point out right there, Jesus, he's opening up the spiritual conversation right there. You've got to look for different ways to open up a spiritual conversation. To And once again, with a tract or with a questionnaire, you do both of those first two steps in one. Um, and then the third step is convince or convict. He, Jesus talks to her. He's talking to the woman. He says in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. And Jesus obviously is all-knowing. He's omniscient. We aren't. But you know, when you're talking to anyone, human beings, we have a sin problem. Yeah. Yeah. RCCR. Relate, create, convict. And the last one is reveal. Yeah. Good question. You're, you're a beautiful young lady. We should talk afterwards. But... Uh, Man, I lost concentration looking at her. Um, <laughs> where were we? Convict. Um, the Ten Commandments. Um, some of you are, are probably familiar with uh, Ray Comfort and uh, his style of evangelism. 
I, I really, I, I like, I, I respect the way that they do it. Some, I don't agree with anybody on everything. I don't even agree with myself on everything. But uh, I, I do like the concept of how they use the Ten Commandments and how the Ten Commandments, the law in the Old Testament, doesn't save anybody. What the law does is it shows people their problem. The Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie. And you read through the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. Um, honor your father and mother, thou shalt not covet. And you read these things, and you, if you're really honest with yourself, you're realizing, man, I've broken like all of those. Thou shalt not murder. I haven't murdered anybody, but then Jesus in the New Testament, he really complicates things, saying that if you're angry with your brother or with someone, it's, you know, it's the same attitude as, as murder. You're guilty of murder if you're angry. It's like, whoa, I haven't committed adultery, but Jesus says if you just think adulterous thoughts, you've committed adultery. It's, wow. And so the Ten Commandments in Jesus here, he uses one of the Ten Commandments with this lady. Thou shalt not commit adultery, basically. Go call your husband. And he knows she's had all kinds of men in her life. And so he talks about sin. We've got to talk about sin. And so bringing up the Ten Commandments, that is such a great way. A lot of times after, maybe I've gone through the coronavirus questions, and if they seem really interested, I'll just ask them, so what do you, what do you think? Would you consider yourself a good person? And most people will say, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. So I'll say, well, I got a couple of questions to see really how good you are. You seem like a really good person to me. And so let me ask you, um, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie. Have you ever told a lie? And, and almost everyone will admit, yeah, I've told a lie. And, and I always try to emphasize, I don't say that I'm any better than you. I have told many lies in my lifetime. But thou shalt not lie is one of the Ten Commandments. Have you ever told a lie? Man, yes, I have. What, what is a person that tells lies? What would we call that kind of a person? And usually they'll, they'll say a liar. Um, okay, so thou shalt not steal. It's another one of the Ten Commandments. Have you ever stolen anything? Uh, irregardless of, the val of its value. Maybe you cheated on your taxes a little bit. Or, or maybe you stole a, little, a piece of candy when you were a kid or something. Uh, thou shalt not steal. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, little things. What, what is a person that steals? What do we call them? A thief. Um, it depends on who you're talking to about this. Uh, but you can ask, you know, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus says, if you look with lust, that's adultery. Have you ever had problems with your, your thoughts? And most people will admit, yeah, man, I've had problems with that. Uh, so you've just admitted to me that you're a lying, thieving adulterer. And on judgment day, what, what do you think God's going to do? What's God going to do with a lying, thieving adulterer? And I mean, and usually people are like, whoa, <laughs> they're kind of shocked by that. But they just admitted it. They said it. You say it with questions. And once again, we are doing this with love in our eyes. If you can't love people, you just need to go lock yourself in your house or something. But uh, um, I'm assuming as Christians, we have the love of God. We've been redeemed. We've seen his mercy and his grace. We need to take that to the world and we go with a gracious and a loving heart and, and our words toward them. But at the same time, we need to talk about sin. You need to talk about sin. Once people realize they're guilty, they'll appreciate their need for a savior. The thing I have found so often is people don't recognize their need for the savior. You go, if you go right into, man, Jesus loves you and, and, and he wants to save you. That, most people, they actually, 
Saved from what? Like, well, I don't need to be saved. I'm a good person. People need to recognize their need for the Savior before they'll appreciate the Savior. And so using the Ten Commandments, showing people that they're guilty, uh, really it pushes them. There's a verse in Galatians, I think it's 3.24, where it says, the law is like a schoolmaster that uh, drives us to Christ. It's a schoolmaster. The Ten Commandments aren't there to save you. They're just there to show you your problem. They push you to the solution. So it's like a thermometer. If I've got a fever... I use a thermometer to measure my, my temperature, to see what my problem is. I take out the thermometer, and wow, I got 104 temperature. I see that thermometer helped me to see I've got a problem. Now, nobody that has a fever, after seeing the thermometer 104, says, oh, I'll swallow the thermometer to solve this problem. No, the thermometer is not, I mean, it's not going to solve your problem. It's just going to, it's there to show you the problem. That's the law. That's the Ten Commandments. That's the beginning of the Bible. It shows you your problem. You have sinned against a holy God and judgment is coming. You're in big trouble. It shows you that you're dirty. James talks about the law being like a mirror. You, you look in the mirror and you see, wow, I've, I've, I've got a little bit of dirt up here and I've got some paint over here and I, I'm, 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 my hair is all messed up. But nobody takes the mirror off the wall and then rubs it on their face. The mirror doesn't take care of the problem. It just shows you the problem. That's the law. The law shows you the problem, and it drives you to the solution revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only solution. And so you use the law not to save people, but to show them their problem, to show them they're lost. And then you come up with the last point right here. Jesus reveals to this lady who he is. We are to reveal to the people that we're sharing the gospel with who Jesus is. In verse 26, Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. She was just saying, man, I know that the Messiah is supposed to come. And Jesus says, I'm him. And so we are supposed to reveal then to people who Jesus is. You talk, Christ and Christ crucified. We talked about that in 1 Corinthians 2. You qualify. You qualify to be an evangelist. You're not eloquent. You're trembling, full of fear, not a lot of wisdom. But then in the middle, that, that those verses 1 and 3, are, they sandwich verse 2. I came to you preaching Christ and Christ crucified. This is what we preach. So we, yes, Convince them or convict them of their sin and then reveal the person of Christ as you see Jesus did in this personal evangelism encounter. So Jesus, what did he do talking to this woman in, in personal evangelism? First, he related to her. He created an opportunity to talk about spiritual things. He convicted her of sin and then he revealed the person of Jesus. His, he revealed who he was to her. We are to reveal the person of Jesus. So, Let's, that was, sorry, that was so long. Oh, I'm trying to give you seven messages in an hour. I don't even, what time am I supposed to stop? Are we? Right now? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Um, turn to your neighbor real quick, and then we'll, we'll have a conclusion here at the end. But yeah, try to say back basically some of the things that I just talked about, what Jesus did in his personal evangelism. Okay, 
we are, we're already over time. I'm so sorry. There's so much to say, so much to do, and we still need to go out and spend an hour on the street. So, uh, no, maybe, maybe next time, maybe next time. But let me, um, I guess a good question was asked about, maybe you're going through the, the questionnaire and, and someone is just, they, they say, you know, I don't really, I don't believe in God. I don't, you know, the whole Bible thing. I, I don't believe that. Um, and, and what do you do then? Um, and, and my answer was, it depends on how they say that. If they, if you can tell, man, they do not want to talk, they're done. That just, I mean, be very hospitable, be very nice, man. Thank you for participating in the, in this questionnaire. And we're, we're going on, we want to get, you know, different people's opinions, and thank you for participating, go on. But if it does seem like there's a little bit of interest, even though they're saying, saying this, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the Bible, you know, a lot of times I will say to them, that is fascinating, like why? I, I've never actually met anybody that is like really deep down inside doesn't believe in God. I've heard a lot of people say that, but I would be fascinated to hear, why don't you believe in God? Would you consider yourself an atheist? I just, I would really like to hear where you're coming from. People like to talk and give their opinions, and I want to learn from them. I want to hear what, what, where they're coming from. And so oftentimes people will be, they'll give their argument of something that bad, bad happened in their life and how could God, a good God, allow this kind of suffering or some bad experience with the church or, uh, you know, there's all, all these different arguments and basically it all boils down to about five different answers and they're really good answers that the Bible gives to all of those. And so anyway, I want to talk with people and if they seem open to talking about things, uh, once again, I do not want to force a conversation. It is the worst thing in the world to just force the gospel on people. I'm not, I do not want to do that. I don't want to encourage you to do that. There are actually a lot of people out there that like to talk about spiritual things, that, that are interested in talking to a Christian that is concerned about them and that in love has some answers to the questions. And so um, I'm looking for those kinds of people. Once again, it's like a filter system. Um, if they don't want to participate, they don't even want to talk to me from the beginning, okay, that's fine. I'm not going to force them to. If they want to go through the questionnaire, that's great, but they get to the end of it and say, ah, you can tell they just, they don't want to go any further. That's great. But if they, they're a little bit more interested, man, they get more and more f through that filter. I am looking for people in the end, it, it, we travel a lot and so it's more difficult for us. But if you're, you know, pretty much stationary, um, you're looking for people that you can make a friendship with. Um, and not a project out of them or anything like that, but just being the friend, a Christian friend to this person, an opportunity maybe to get into an evangelistic Bible study. People are going to get saved through the reading of the scriptures, through the study of the scriptures. So I want to get into a Bible study with them. Um, I, we had a friend, um, maybe some of you, uh, maybe not. I don't know if somebody would know the name Floyd Schneider here. Yeah, um, but he, he's from Portland, Oregon, our, our uh, assembly in, in Portland that we're from. Um, but he would do these evangelistic Bible studies, very friendly guy, very interesting guy, but he was very good at just making conversations with people and just starting uh, friendships, friendship evangelism. And he, but he would not waste much time. He would ask people, you know, after the first two or three times that he's met with these people, hey, you want to just get together and read the Bible, a little Bible study? And uh, he would get into these Bible studies with people, and he had Bible study, a Bible study going Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, 
night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, with different people. And then these individuals would start to invite their friends. And so pretty soon he ended up with these home Bible studies every night of the week with different groups. Some of these groups were 20 people and they ended up, other groups would end up 15. Another group would end up maybe 25. But all these night Bible studies, and all it was was he'd go through the book of John and all he did was ask questions. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What do you think that means? What's the beginning? What do you think this means by, you know, the Word? What's that? All he did was ask questions. And his famous statement was, I don't have any answers, I just have questions. And he was just friendly to people and loved people. And man, people just came to these Bible studies and people get saved just reading the Bible. Amy and I were in one of these studies and he was discipling us and showing us how he did it. And we would bring unbelievers and man, we would have, we would have a dinner and then we'd have this Bible study. It was just a good time. And you'd just go around and ask questions. And after a couple of weeks, this, this lady that was coming to the study, I think she professed to be an atheist in the beginning, but she started coming and, and she started, we were just going through John and and she gets to this point where it was like this light comes on and she just like says to the whole group, there's like 25 people sitting there in the living room. She goes, Jesus is God. We got to tell like the whole world, you know what? I think we should all start inviting our friends to this study. And once people start reading the Bible, they'll see for themselves, God is real. Jesus is God. And he died on the cross for our sins. And, and, and then like this would go from the study would just like expand and we'd start more of them in different houses. And then like it would just spread across the city and across the country. And Floyd just goes, yeah, that's kind of the idea. <laughs> But uh, just getting people into the Bible, getting people into the Bible, but it's got to begin with personal relationships, meeting people, trying to relate to them, creating an opportunity. You've got to take that step, trying to open up the door, talk about spiritual things, talking to them about sin, convicting them of sin, and then revealing the person of Jesus Christ. But uh, getting people into God's word and really remembering as we're talking to people, God is holy, God is just, and God is love. Uh, in the beginning there was light and life and love, but we see the opposites in this world. And he who is light and life and love, he, he, he's come to our darkness and death and disconnection. He's lived it. He's experienced it. He plunged it all down into the grave. He rose again on the third day, and now he's calling out, you in death, come to my life. You in darkness, come to my light. You in light. Oh, no, I forgot that. In disconnection, come to my love. If I can't even say it right, how are you guys going to? But uh, you guys are much smarter than I am and can remember these things. But anyway, there's so much, uh, so much to say. And uh, I just want to try to encourage and uh, inspire you to um, be bold. Be bold. And uh, don't be weird. But uh, we need to be bold and try to go forward with this message. Yes. Living Waters, uh, maybe it's Living Water. Living Waters, okay, yeah, they have they have fantastic tracks, really, really good. Uh, some of them are are visual tricks that trick your eyes, and uh, and and so anyway, all a lot of the a lot of them are just uh, they're made uh, high quality with a really good concise gospel message on the back, but yeah. Um, uh, having good tracks with you is, I used to kind of think tracks are for little kids, but I have found that it is, it's actually really helpful to, to start conversations or you're at a restaurant or whatever, just leave a tract and, um, 
trying to open up doors to start conversations. So anyway, I don't know if I should open it up for questions because we're way over. I guess if you have questions, uh, you can come to me personally and, and ask afterwards, but we should probably give opportunity for people to get back to their uh, roast that is percolating in the uh, Instapot at home. And if that's you, just tell me about it, so uh, maybe we'll come over and have dinner at your place. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for uh, the great, great opportunity and great responsibility to be your ambassadors here on earth for the short amount of time that we are here, so short in comparison to eternity. Our, our lives are like a vapor that appear for a little while and they vanish away. And uh, Lord, we have such a short amount of time. We want to take advantage of every moment. Um, help us to look for opportunities um, each day to try to share something of the love of Christ with, with people around us. Help us to... Um, Look to open up the door to talk about spiritual things. Help us to um, even uh, be, be so assertive as to, to go out with questionnaires uh, to really uh, look for these opportunities everywhere and everywhere, anywhere we can. So, Lord, we, we put our lives in your hands and ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to be bold. In Jesus' name, amen.